few months ago, I had to have a conversation with Tom in the hallway where he said, Jeremy, would you like to preach on Palm Sunday? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. And he said, it's also, it's on the book of Philemon. And I said, oh, okay. Um, so we're going to try to make it work. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to be here. Um, but my hope is, if you note in your bulletin, it's kind of in statement form there. Uh, we're going to talk about the idea of power today. Um, and maybe in question form for us this morning, the question of what will you do with the power that you have? What will you do with the power, the authority, the influence, the resources that you have been given? What will you do? Um, and so as we get there, I want to start with a confession. Um, a few years ago, uh, Tyler Cadwell, who's now leading our junior high ministry, he was a student ministry intern. Uh, we also had David Sheldon, who was a high school intern under the intern sort of deal. And so um, we would do, we love to do a movie night every now and then. Whenever we could, we'd get together and, and watch a movie. And I got to pick a lot of the movies. I got, I had a string, a run there where I got to pick all the movies, which I loved. And so, but as we talked about them, we noticed a theme in these movies. And I had never really realized this about myself, but as we're talking about the titles or the taglines or the main message of the movie, words like this began to surface. Revenge. Get even. Vendetta. Vengeance. And so I became to realize that apparently I'm a huge fan of vengeance. Um, that's something uh, uh, that was, is deep within me. We have a, here's a couple examples. One of the one movies was, uh, if you were 90s, that's about when I graduated high school, if you remember this era, of the, all of the westerns that kind of came back out in this streak. My favorite of them is Tombstone. Um, I don't know if you got to see Tombstone, a great movie, Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, amazing character in that movie. Um, but if you look at the bottom of the movie cover here, justice is coming. Now, mind you, justice is a good thing. In the scripture, we see God is very much for justice. This movie is not about justice, okay? It's about revenge. Like, you are watching this movie, and you are waiting for the good guys to give the bad guys what they deserve, all right? There is not emotional distance between them, okay? They are, they are looking for vengeance, all right? Now, um, others that I, we watched didn't mask it so much. Here's a, another one from The Count of Monte Cristo. Um, I love this movie. If you've never seen it or if you haven't seen this version of it with Jim Caviezel, it's amazing. Great film, but look at the bottom. Prepare for adventure. Count on revenge. And so this theme became very evident, and, and we don't really look at vengeance or revenge in, in ourselves or this, this kind of idea. Uh, we don't carry it around the way we, we, we humbly acknowledge other sins. You know, hi, I'm Jeremy, and I'm vengeful. Um, I, I'm going to give up revenge for Lent. It was that or Facebook, you know. Um, and so we, we kind of we hide this one away in us, and, and it's, it's something that, that is deep, deep inside us. And... Um, Maybe you can relate, and, but the problem is, is the percentage, what percentage of conflicts in your life do you view yourself as the bad guy? Yeah, not very often. I mean, I, I don't. It's, it's less than 1% for sure. And so um, th there's this problem. And so power in one sense, and from one dimension we're going to look at it, is this idea of reactionary power. How do I use power when I'm meant to react, when I'm reacting to a situation? Someone has done something to me, and I have to make a decision on how I'm going to respond. So there's one dimension of it. Another dimension of it is kind of more just proactive. What do you do with, with resources, with authority, influence, and leadership that you've been given? Like, how do you handle that? Does it exist for you? Or does it exist for 
another purpose. That's what we're gonna, we're, so we're going to look at kind of these two dimensions. Because we've all seen leadership, right? We've seen power that has corrupted. We've seen people in authority, people in leadership who've been corrupted by that, that, their position and used it and leveraged it for self. And so I want to examine kind of these, these dimensions of power this morning. Um, and the Bible actually says a lot about this. And so in, even in our Palm Sunday story and examination of Philemon, we'll, we'll kind of zoom in on the, these, these two ideas. But before that, I want to give two visuals, two metaphors for our discussion this morning and how we respond to this question. What do you do with the power that you have? How will you use it? Um, Matthew 26, um, this is at the, when Jesus is being betrayed. Judas has betrayed Jesus, and the mob is coming to get Jesus, okay? It says this, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large, uh, large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. And if we read ahead here, it says, the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now, Matthew doesn't say who it is, but John has no problem ratting out Peter. It was Peter. Peter did it. Peter drew out his sword. It was not Braveheart-esque like this one, I'm sure. Um, I don't think this probably fit the time period, but it was the example I got, and it feels amazing. Um, <laughs> the, uh, Peter, in this moment of confrontation, his reaction to someone is, uh, is, in, is being aggressive, coming towards, coming at something that I don't, and, and it's a situation I don't like. I'm taking offense to this. His reaction is to grab for the sword. That's Peter's response. Um, and my confession, that emotional pull I have that I'm vulnerable to in those stories and those films is rooted in the same response. I identify with Peter. That fight back impulse is very strong. And I, I, can, I can identify with that. And so this morning, the sword, this is kind of our, our visual, this is our metaphor for using your power to get what you want. It's drawing out on your own power to get what you feel you are entitled to, to defend what you want for yourself. Now, as we continue the story, though, in verse 52, Jesus says to Peter, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think I can call on my father and he what once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And Jesus' response to the sword, Jesus' response to Peter was like, don't you think that if, if I was going to play that game, we wouldn't need your sword, Peter. Trust me, you could just sit down and watch. I would, I would be able to have this in a minute. If this is how I had intended to move my, usher in my kingdom and to bring what I'm here to bring to earth, I can do that. But there's something else. How would it be fulfilled? And so here's what, um, what, what Jesus challenges in him. And for us, you know, again, it's, it's not a literal sword, right? We don't wield these today, thankfully. Um, you'd have a hard time sitting that close to each other if you were. The, um, but what we do, right, is for us, it's, an, it's, a phys it's physical aggression. It's emotional or verbal aggression. We can use fists or assert authority or manipulate relationships. We can use gossip or harsh words, and those are all the way of the sword. Those are all taking our power and trying to use them over other people to get what we want. So what's an alternative? Look at John chapter 13 here. Um, Jesus, this, uh, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So this is about 24 hours before uh, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's with his disciples, and he says he knew 
Remember this, the, think of the confidence in this moment. He knew that God had put all things under his power. It's clear. He knows what God wants of him, what God has asked him to do, and that he has the power to move forward. What's his response to that? All things under his power. That opens up a lot of options if God has given you all power and all things under your power. So, verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin, and he went around and he washed the disciples' feet. The first response of Jesus in recognition to all power being given to him is not to put power over. He could have said, hey, I'm pretty confident in who I am and what God's called me to do, and you should all probably be washing my feet. He doesn't do that. He puts his power, he lays it down, and he serves the disciples, by washing their feet. And he goes on, he says in verse 15, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So here's Jesus' answer to our question. What do you do with the power that you have? You leverage your power for the people that you can serve with it. Jesus doesn't use his power over he uses his power under to build up. And this is significant because he knows that the people that are around him in the room at that time, these are going to be the future what of the church? The leaders, right? These disciples, they are about to embark on a whole new journey. They're going to be figuring out a lot of things about expectations of who the Messiah was going to be and what it looked like. And they're going to go and start this movement of God's kingdom here on earth and Jesus says, when you go out there, people will be hanging on your words. They're going to be listening to you. They're going to be looking to you. Don't forget what you do with your authority, with your influence, with your power. So here's our, here's our responses to the question. There's the way of the sword and the way of the basin. There's using our power over others to get what we want. And there's laying our power down under others to build them up, to serve them. Now, Palm Sunday and Philemon, let's start with Palm Sunday first. Okay, we have our visuals in our mind. Palm Sunday, maybe we hear that whether you've grown up in church or you're newer to it, you may have the image of Jesus on a donkey, riding on a donkey, right? And you've got the, uh, I know you guys got to witness the, uh, the, the palm branch fest in here this morning, right? The kid waving the palm branches and singing Hosanna in the highest. We have these visuals of Palm Sunday. But let's look at what else is happening in the world at this time uh, when we, of what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. In the Jesus day, the Roman Empire rules the world, okay? Rome is in charge. They dominate a huge area of the world. And um, and, and, and their rule is led by people who, from Rome who are called the Caesars, right? So Julius Caesar, you've heard of Julius Caesar. Um, we have a picture of Julius Caesar, um, I believe. Oh, there he is. And so Julius Caesar, yeah, that's him, the original one, I'm pretty sure. Got into this thing with Elizabeth Taylor, and it all went south after that um, for him. But he starts this line of Caesars who um, are going to rule Rome from the seat of Rome. They're going to rule and try to expand their territory as best as possible powerfully as, as they can. And so uh, back to the world, there's a problem when you have this much world to cover because there is no megabus yet, right? There is no high-speed rail. 
You can't just fly to a place if something starts to happen and you, that needs your attention. You've got a month to get to maybe some of these parts, depending on how it is you have to get to the world. And so what do you do when you're trying to rule the world and you've got to keep things under control? Well, you can either hire within the Roman Empire or hire an outsider to basically be your representative to stand there and make sure the world knows and remembers your message, okay? Um, and so Caesar Tiberius, who was in charge at the time of, of Jesus, has appointed a guy named Pontius Pilate to serve as the overseer of the area of Judea, okay? So in Judea, we have this region here, I think, yeah, there you go. And then uh, in the Caesarea Maritime area, there is an area where there's even artifacts, the artifact that I think was found 50 years ago that talked about Pilate, who was serving under the rule of Tiberius in this area at this time, ruling over the area of Judea. So in Jerusalem, though, that you also see on the map, that's where some, there's a pretty big deal going on this time of year. The Jews would get together for this thing called Passover. And Pilate probably had the stories passed on to him that Passover, these Jews are celebrating, is a big deal. The population of the city is probably going to triple. Some sources say 150 to 200,000 people would come or would be at Passover to celebrate this in Jerusalem. Now, what they're celebrating at Passover is what story we talk about. Exodus, right? The Passover, they're thinking back to the story where what happens at Exodus? The God of the Jews calls Moses and he leads this, this deliverance of his people out from underneath a foreign dictator, a foreign oppressor. So if you're Pilate and there's a big deal that some people who need to answer to you, I mean, your job is to keep Tiberius happy probably. Maybe he's looking for a promotion. I don't know. But your job is to keep the peace and keep Rome, the establishment, in place. What do you do when a group of people come together to start to celebrate being delivered and set free from a foreign oppressor? So Pilate, at the same time Jesus comes to Jerusalem, Pilate is, is making the same decision, right, each year to show up because he has a message and a peace that he needs to keep in, in the city. Um, and so Pilate, representing and being a leader of Rome, would have marched with the force of Rome. Rome had a great marketing department. Their propaganda was on the coins to remind you that Caesar was Lord. They would crucify people publicly to let you know, hey, if you're an enemy of Rome, this is an option we have for you. Um, they, had, they were very good at the way of using their power over people. So now, if, if, if Pilate is coming from Caesarea and possibly coming down the coast and, and coming into Jerusalem, maybe from the west, with his armies and with the intimidation to where these peasant farmers and shepherds who are coming together and celebrate Passover are walking in to celebrate their, 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 their belief in God, but they see and they're met with this army because he's there to send a message. How does Jesus enter from Bethany, which is on the east is where it says Bethany, come, that's where Jesus was coming from as he came to Jerusalem. He comes in on a donkey. And so in Zechariah Verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the full of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The king is coming. And how 
will he rule his kingdom? How will he establish his kingdom? Pilate and Rome were not vague on the idea of their implementation of power. Jesus' way, unlike Rome, does not seek domination. Jesus, if you haven't heard this, does not want to dominate you. He wants to redeem you. God's kingdom is subversive to the kingdoms of Caesar and the kingdoms of this world. And it's the way through which God intends to redeem his creation. Palm Sunday is our reminder that a new world order, a new kingdom of heaven is among you, as Jesus said, and it is not compatible with the way of the sword. Now, if we jump to Philemon, there's this letter where Paul, this kind of relational triangle, where Paul is writing to Philemon about a relationship with Onesimus. Got the triangle? Paul, Philemon, Onesimus. I don't have a good visual for this, so this will have to do. Um, Paul has a relationship with both of these guys. Now, the problem is, is these two guys, Philemon and Onesimus, they have a beef, specifically Philemon, because Onesimus was Philemon's slave, which was a very common thing at that time in history. And he wasn't a very useful slave, according to the letter. And in fact, he ran away from Philemon. So Onesimus cost Philemon, maybe in more ways than one, by not being very useful when he was a slave and then running away from him. All right, so Philemon, and in that rule, in that day, Philemon is entitled by law, he's, he is fully within his rights to have Onesimus executed. All right, so if he really wanted to be like, if he wanted to just handle that situation, that was the, he could go that far, and then he wouldn't have to worry about any repercussions. He was fully within his right to, to do that in that day, in that culture. Now, Paul has a problem because he sees something that he's, a, I think, that Philemon and Onesimus don't see. Paul has been involved in both of their lives in bringing them the gospel and telling them the good news about Jesus. And both of them have stepped into the kingdom work and the birth and the expansion of the church. Philemon is, is leading a group of people at his house using his resources. And, and Paul makes, is very clear about how grateful he is for Philemon and what he's doing for the work of the Lord. Paul also, who is writing this letter from in jail, is very grateful for Onesimus because he, Onesimus is, I don't know if he had a lot of these people or, or just maybe him, but he's his hands and feet on the outside. Onesimus is doing the work of ministry for Paul and very valuable to Paul. It, it, there's value in Onesimus. Paul has found value in this guy. And he says, even though you're valuable to me, here's what I'm going to do. You're going to go back to Philemon and take, give him this, and, 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 and he's going to get this letter for me. And this letter, I'm asking him to make this right. In other words, it's not like, ah, you guys just don't get along. We'll keep you separated. There is a way of reconciliation that we're going to go after here. There is a new way that we are going to pursue. And so he writes this letter to Philemon, and he says, I'm praying you will accept him back, not, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. So not only, hey, Philemon, don't get revenge, it's don't get revenge and with that power where you could have taken it over him, where you could have made him account for all that he messed up and what a liability he was for you, I'm actually asking you to examine the relationship. It's not now master-slave. I'm asking you to treat him as a brother in Christ. It's a new kingdom ethic that Paul is asking Philemon to consider. For you and I, 
according to what Jesus said, our greatness is going to be determined by our willingness to lay down our lives, our power, our resources, and our influence and authority for the sake of other people. And I realize that may fall very differently to some of us because the immediate pushback can be, that sounds great for Jesus, but I live in the real world. If I let down my guard, if I put my sword away, my spouse, my family, my friends, my coworkers, they will walk all over me. I need this just to survive. I'm afraid if I wash their feet, that's going to become the new normal. Me sitting there washing their feet all the time, and that's about it. They aren't going to reciprocate. I'm just going to get walked all over. And there's conversations about boundaries and all of that that are probably very healthy conversations to have when considering this challenge. But if at the core of your fear is, I'm afraid that following Jesus might cost me too much, to you I say, me too. Me too. I'm afraid of it. I, 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 I live in this tension. This isn't like a problem that just has been solved. It's something that I, I struggle with and and I just I hope, with, with all hope, that I can, in my life, fall in this direction as I stumble. Because I know the result of this choice. Haven't we all leaned on this enough? These aren't just neat examples that bear out well in the Bible or where the Scripture challenges us. Think of this. Um, this is, and here's, I like this part because it's my, for those of you missing Tom, this is my history illustration that, you know, will fill that, that, that thing you're looking for. Okay, so here's from the book called Founding Brothers by Joseph Ellis. This is about George Washington, about the founding uh, fathers of our country. Um, if you remember at the end of the Revolutionary War, George Washington is the man, all right? I mean, he's, he's been president, president again, and now there are a group of officers, you may know this, remember this from your history class, who want to take George Washington, and they want to make him king. Every service got that. That's awesome. It, um, they want to make him king, the new emperor, all right? And so listen to this. This is what Ellis records in his book. First, it is crucial to recognize that Washington's extraordinary reputation rested less on his prudent exercise of power than on his dramatic flair for surrendering it. He summarily rejected their offer to become the American Caesar and denounced the entire scheme as treason to the cause for which they had fought. It concludes, upon learning that Washington intended to reject the mantle of, power, the mantle of emperor, no less an authority than King George III, okay, that's power over McGee over there in England, right? Dominate everything, conquer. He recognizes and says, if he does that, if, if Washington rejects that mantle of emperor, he will be the greatest man in the world. Here's this last quote. True to his word, on December 22, 1783, Washington surrendered his commission to the Congress, then meeting in Annapolis. Having now finished the work assigned to me, he announced, I now retire from the great theater of action. In so doing, he became the supreme example of the leader who could be trusted with power because he was so ready to give it up. In culture... We see this um, just a few weeks ago. I was reading, uh, this was on ESPN, uh, Kevin Durant, if you, know, if you follow the NBA, basically he's probably going to get in the MVP this year. Maybe he already has. I don't know. His team will compete for a national championship. But three weeks ago, this is what Kevin Durant did while all the MVP and national championship stuff is on his mind. He participates and releases the Strong and Kind movement. You can look, check out the website, and it's, he's challenging 
people to take this challenge. Here's the five values, principles in there. Have the courage to be kind when others may not. Look out for those who can't look out for themselves. Stand up when others would rather stand out. Leave, leave the world a kinder place than you found it. Be strong and be kind. And here's a quote from Durant. Who's a Christian, by the way? This is really near and dear to, to my heart. I just want to change how people think about being kind. A lot of people associate it with being weak. But I think you have to be really strong to be kind and respectful. It's a snapshot in, in our culture, in the arena of basketball, and it's not the church, but it's a snapshot of, of, of a kingdom ethic invading an arena that says, no, 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 use your power for yourself. You get what you want. You fight for your own. Other people can worry about themselves. It's this, it's this thing that God, God wired into the world, and it, maybe it's the thumbprint of God in, in each of us to step into the way of living the way that Jesus calls us. There's a ton of people in our community, and if, I wish I had time. I don't to, to go through through all of them. Um, the um, but I've seen um, coaches in this. I had a son, uh, coach uh, George Shermer. He was in my son's. Uh, he coached my son in wrestling one year. I wish I had time to go through this whole story. I don't. But he, my son was wrestling in the Pee Wee 35 pound division. Imagine that, 35 pounds, right? So, <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, but but in this arena where 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 there was this chip on your shoulder, there was this edge, there was this power over culture, right? Coach George was amazing. I would watch him get down on one knee with my son get in his face, give him, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do. But he had this way of balancing his power to build up a little guy trying to compete and do his best in a sport and never tore him down. I can't say that for every coach I saw. And you've seen this in your own arenas. You've seen this in your own sidelines, probably. Um, But it's just this example. But rather than me run through the list of my examples, where have you seen it? Who are your people? I mean, think about that. Who are the people in your life where you have seen them in whatever profession, in whatever arena it is, you have seen them time and time again leverage their influence, their authority, and resources, and they're never about building up an empire for themselves. They're never about reacting and protecting themselves and fighting and using their power over others, but they constantly find a way. And they always maybe were there for you. Maybe it was a coach or a teacher or whatever, and they were always there for you to say, how can I help? What, what of me and my resources and influence, what can I do to serve you? And I hope you, you have a handful. I hope you have at least an individual or two that, that you can look to and think, you know what, that is, that's the way of Jesus. That their influence in my life, they had, there's this legacy because they chose to leverage their power, not for themselves, but for the benefit of others. And now I have to ask myself the question, what What will I do? Here's some questions as we close. Do you make the people around you feel that they exist to serve you? Or do they know that you are willing to use whatever you have to serve them? Does your family, your team, your coworkers, no matter what the amount of influence you have, you can be the youngest in the family or the oldest, a lot of influence or a little, do they know that your voice, your time, that it's there to serve them? Think of the people closest to you. And if you were to say to them, hey, how can I serve you? How can I help? In whatever way you would say that, would they have to pick themselves up off the floor? What's at stake is what Jesus, the end of Jesus, 
action with the disciples when he said, no servant is greater than their master. I'm afraid that when I use my power and my influence and I keep my authority to myself in whatever ways I have it, I am saying that I am greater than my master. When we pick up the sword, we're proclaiming that we are better than Jesus. So as we, in the coming days, as we think towards Easter and we think towards the resurrection and the power and the hope of God for the world, may we remember that there are two ways to enter a city. May we remember Paul's heart and his plea to Philemon that yes, you are entitled. You may have the right to use your power over the situation and get what you want, but I'm asking you, in light of what Jesus did for you, would you consider putting your power down and putting it under someone else? Not because we deserve it. As soon as we go to merit, do they deserve it? Game over. We're going to go back to this every time because they don't deserve it. And you and I didn't deserve what Jesus did for us either. It's in light of that we make this choice. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. May we know that we don't wage war as the world does. Our weapons are otherworldly, and they have the power to demolish strongholds.